Good morning. Okay, we are creatures of habit, and you probably noticed when that song was started, a whole bunch of kids got up and left. Um, and then some teachers realized we better catch up with them. So if you are not have not been here long enough to be a creature of habit, and you've got a child from two years old through the second grade, uh, they can go back here for some classes prepared for them. Actually, I think the second graders are all in here with us, aren't they, Angie? Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed the last couple of weeks, our second graders have been sitting here with Angie and Mike um, in the auditorium and taking notes and paying attention. And I'm just going to tell you, they take better notes than you do. <laughs> they probably pay closer attention than you do. So I appreciate Angie, our children's minister, and what, uh, what she's doing with our, with our young people. I want to welcome you here this morning. I know it's a, a long weekend for most people. I know because of that, a lot of people have left. We're a little bit down this morning. Um, but also we've had some people that are here. Great to see some old friends, meet some new friends. But you're here. The Lord's here. In fact, you got up on a rainy day and made it first service. So you're already a, you've already been a blessing. Now most... Lessons, I begin with a story or a joke, but I'm not going to do that this morning. You're welcome. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson, some history that a lot of you will, will know. It's specifically some European history. In the mid-1600s, London was, was stricken with a plague that got to be known as the Black Death. In May of 1664, it claimed its first few victims. By the time the next May rolled around, 600 people had died of the Black Death. In the following month, that number jumped to 6,000. A month after that, it was 17,000. A month after that, it was 30,000. And people responded to this by fleeing the city thereby sort of spreading this plague all over Europe. By the time it was said and done, over 70,000 people had died from this disease. And it was called the Black Death for a couple reasons. One, people that were affected broke out with these black splotches on their body, but also because of the kind of the darkness of ignorance that was shrouding the cause of this disease. The physicians of the day were just convinced that people were coming down with this ailment because they were breathing the black, sooty smog that sort of smothered the city of London. And the idea was they, they breathed in this black, sooty mess and it made them sick. Now, of course, today we know that's not how that disease was spread. It was spread by fleas on the back of rats. But at that time, everybody thought they were getting sick because they were breathing this terrible air, and they came up with a, with a remedy. And the remedy was they would take people out to a rose garden around some rose bushes and have them walk around in the rose bushes. And the idea was when they breathed in the, the sweet, you know, the, the, the fragrance of the roses, that would kind of displace all the disease there that was in their lungs and they'd get better. And if they weren't able to get outside, doctors would actually stuff their pockets full of rose petals to keep themselves safe, and they'd also sprinkle rose petals around an infected person's bed. The same thought. The smell would drive out the, the infection that was there. In fact, if someone was bad enough, 
They actually ground the rose petals up and burned it into an ash, put it right under their nose so they were forced to breathe it and maybe even sneeze out the diseased air and breathe in the good stuff. And of course, we know today that none of those superstitious rituals worked. People still died by the tens of thousands from this plague. It did, however, give birth to a chant that sprung up during that time, first recited by the guys who had pushed the death carts around, collecting the bodies. You'd hear them going up and down the streets, ring around the roses, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. I know a lot of you have heard that story before and heard that history before, but isn't it ironic that what we know is a very harmless children's nursery rhyme began in such a macabre way. And the last line of that little nursery rhyme still rings true today, by the way. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Now, unless the Lord returns, none of us are getting out of here alive. We're all terminal. We're all going to succumb to this, this plague called death. There. Wasn't that great? Isn't that a cheery way to start the lesson today? Like, that's the most depressing thing I've heard in a long time. Kind of makes you hungry for my jokes, doesn't it? But just because we're not starting with good news, trust me, doesn't mean we're not going to end with good news. We're going to get to some good news this morning. We are still in our series that I've been calling, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And we're talking about what Jesus has to say about himself. Those I am statements of Jesus. And for our lesson this morning, we're actually going to go back to a, a passage that we brushed up against last week. It's in John chapter 11. The events surrounding the interaction that Jesus has with uh, a group of siblings, two sisters named Mary and Martha, and their temporarily dead brother Lazarus. It's a really well-known story. And it's a powerful story. And in the middle of this very well-known, very powerful story, Jesus makes a statement to a grieving woman. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's the I am statement that Jesus makes. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, you pluck that statement out of context, and it's a powerful thing. You plug it back into context, and it's one of the most convicting statements Jesus ever made about himself. This morning's lesson isn't about external death. It's about eternal life. And the entire narrative is really powerful. But this morning I want you to focus on the conversation that Jesus has with these two sisters, with Martha and with Mary. And we're actually going to work through a really big part of the text. So open up your Bibles to John chapter 11, or your phone or your tablet, whatever you're using this morning. We're going to actually read more text this morning than we usually do, and some of it will be on the screen, but, but not most of it, so, so you need to follow along, or, or maybe just listen carefully. John 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Okay, let me stop just a minute here for a little bit of time and place. Bethany is really close to Jerusalem. It's about a 30-minute walk. And that is where these three siblings live, Mary and Martha and Jesus. 
the sister of sin for Jesus because the one you love is sick. They want Jesus to come. Now, you also need to know the timeline. This is very close to the end of Jesus' time on the earth. And Jesus knows it. He knows that the, the cross is looming. In fact, this is going to be the last time that Jesus is able to, to travel around publicly. We know that he's already made some enemies, and we know that he's going to make some more. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. The first thing Jesus says about Lazarus being sick is, this thing's not going to end in death. God's going to be glorified. I'm going to be glorified. And right off the bat, Jesus is giving us a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. He gives a foreshadowing of what's going to happen, not just in Bethany, but shortly thereafter in Jerusalem as well. So there's going to be a miracle. The miracle is going to bring glory to the Father, and the miracle is going to bring glory to me too. So let's, let's read the text. Verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he says to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. What? <laughs> We're talking about a sick guy. We're talking about people wanting to kill you. What are you talking about with light and, and darkness? They didn't get it. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. You know, so often we kind of get on the disciples for not getting it. How could you miss what Jesus is saying? How did you not understand what he was doing? I think if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have got it either. I think I would have just missed just as much as those people missed. Now, first Jesus tells them, this sickness is not going to end in death. Okay, if it's not going to end in death, then we don't really need to go. Because last time you were in Judea, if you remember Jesus, they tried to stone you. And if we go back, they might try to stone you again, and they might miss and some stones might hit us. So if you're saying that Lazarus is going to be okay, why don't we stay here and we'll all be okay? And then Jesus says, no, Lazarus is dead. Wait a minute. You said this wouldn't end in death. You said he was just sleeping. You're going to go wake him up. Now he's dead. Which is it? Is he dead? Is he alive? What is going on? You know, I, I don't think they understood at all. And of course, Jesus says, no, what I said was, God's going to be glorified. And I'm going to be glorified. And what I said was, what you consider to be the end isn't necessarily what I consider to be the end. And again, I don't think they had a clue what Jesus was talking about. Because Thomas says, okay, we're all going to die. So let's go. 
verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, if you do a little bit of math and time and distance, you realize that Lazarus was probably dead by the time that Jesus even got the message. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Allow me to make an observation here. You remember pretty well the, the other time that we read about Jesus being with these two sisters. He's teaching in their house. And if you remember, Martha's really concerned about housekeeping, about keeping the house and the cooking, and she's a little bit upset that Mary's not helping. And if you remember, Jesus sort of chastises her. He says, hey, wait, Mary is listening to me, and that's the right thing to do. Now, it's Martha who hears that Jesus is close by, and she goes running to meet, Mar to meet Jesus. Why didn't Mary run to meet Jesus? I don't know. You know, maybe she didn't really realize that Jesus was there, but when you read the text, it sure sounds like she did. Why didn't Mary run to meet Jesus? And again, I don't know, but what you have here, you got two women who are grieving deeply. And the reality is, people grieve differently. And we need to understand that. One of the first things I learned in ministry was, people grieve differently. You need to understand, when you're, when you're dealing with someone who's going through a really tough time, that people grieve differently. We've got to be sensitive to that. We've got to understand that. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. A very interesting conversation. In fact, I think this whole story revolves around Martha. Yeah, Lazarus is the one who's dead. He's the one who gets brought back to life. But Lazarus never says a word in this whole thing. For me, the real focus here is Martha and her interaction with Jesus. Now, again, Martha's kind of gotten this reputation of a woman who seems more concerned about physical things than spiritual things, but not in John 11. Nothing could be further from the truth in John chapter 11. We see Martha is this woman of tremendous faith. She tells Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And I know there's a resurrection on the last day. And then Martha and Jesus continue to have this, this really wonderful exchange. And, and Jesus tells Martha with a level of compassion that only Jesus could show, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Way to go, Martha! That is not spoken from a woman who's more, um, more concerned about a mess in the house than she was the Messiah in the house. It's spoken by a woman who is a sold-out disciple. Martha gets it. You remember... Peter said basically the same thing to Jesus once. You believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus at that point told Peter, you're going to be blessed because of your faith. Well, Martha's about to be blessed because of her faith as well. Let's go ahead and finish the story. And pick it back up in verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. There was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. There are very few stories in Scripture that are as powerful as what we read in John chapter 11. And there are very few stories in Scripture that are as emotional as Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life. We could talk about that story for a long time. I've preached a lot of sermons out of John 11. But this morning I want to focus again on those two statements that were made by those two women. The statement that Martha and Mary both made to Jesus and how he responded to each of them. Look again, the very first thing that Martha says when she sees Jesus, first thing she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She recognizes him as Lord. If you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And then the very first thing that Mary says when she sees Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. They both say the exact same thing to Jesus. Now, a lot of people have given these sisters grief, kind of suggesting that they are accusing Jesus. You know, you let us down. You were too preoccupied somewhere else doing something else. You didn't get here quick enough, and now he's dead, and it's your fault. I don't think that's fair to Martha or Mary. I don't think they're accusing Jesus of anything. In fact, I think just the opposite. I think they're recognizing Jesus as Lord. And I also think they're recognizing that the only one who could, could have prevented this tragedy was Jesus. But he wasn't there. If only. Both Martha and Mary both tell Jesus, 
If only. There's some versions that actually use that phrase, if only you had been here. Of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. If only. You ever play the if only game? You look back on your life, you look back on the decisions that you made, the circumstances that you lived through, the problems that you've incurred. Do you ever find yourself saying, if only. If only I'd had a better childhood. If only I'd had better parents. Or maybe if only I'd been a better parent. If only I hadn't gotten sick. If only they hadn't gotten sick. If only I'd made better friends. If only I'd made better choices. If only I hadn't lost my job. If only I'd listened to what people were trying to tell me. If only. If only. If only keeps us chained to a past that we can't change. You know, it keeps us looking in the rearview mirror rather than out the front windshield. If only offers absolutely no hope whatsoever. Martha tells Jesus, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus gives Martha the perfect answer to every single if-only statement. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If only that hadn't happened. If only I could go back and change things. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If only I could change all my past mistakes. If only I could do it again, do it right. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, Martha, let me give you something that will help you. Let me give you the, the, the statement that's going to solve all your if-only problems. I am. Whatever if-only you want to come up with, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, I can do things that no one else can do. Do you believe it? That's what he told Martha. And then listen to what he tells Mary when she has her if-only statement. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. When Martha asks her question, Jesus enters this dialogue with her. In fact, he's almost teaching to Martha, right? It's almost like he's setting her straight. Mary comes along and asks the exact same question. But Jesus responds differently. He responds in tears. Jesus told Martha, I can change things. He tells Mary, now watch me. Now watch me. Jesus gives Martha this tremendous hope. And then 
He tells Mary, let me prove to you that this hope is warranted. Let me prove to you that I can do what I say I can do, that I am who I say I am. Martha, I can change things. Mary, just watch. I don't know what if-only statement you might be wrestling with today. Maybe there's things that have happened in your past and you just can't get over them. Can't get past them. And maybe it was through absolutely no fault of your own. Maybe you, it was something that was just completely out of your control. You really had nothing to do with the situation, but you just can't get past it. What do you do with those things? Where do you take that? Well, you take it to Jesus. And you're thinking, well, I took it to Jesus. And Jesus didn't show up. I did take it to Jesus. And it still happened. Jesus didn't prevent my pain. And you know what? You're probably right. God doesn't always prevent our pain. But John chapter 11 shows us that He does know. And he does care about our pain. And John chapter 11 shows us that He shares our pain. When Jesus saw Martha and Mary crying, John tells us He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You know, we want God to to prevent us from ever having any bad experiences. We want God to keep everything bad from happening to us. But read the Bible. Bad things happen to everybody in the Bible. The promise of Scripture isn't bad things aren't going to happen. The promise of Scripture is Jesus knows when they do. God understands. He cares. And the promise of Scripture is that the Lord shares our pain. And yeah, maybe He doesn't do what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it. And maybe we walk away feeling like He didn't know. He doesn't care. He's forgotten about me. But Jesus has promised to us is the same promise He made to these two sisters in the the depth of their grief. I can change things. Now watch me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live again, even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I told you we were going to end with good news, right? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, do you? Let's stand and sing.